Um, all right, well, you know, I got the last day again, um, which I like. I kind of like the send-off. I like the recap kind of feel of um, of youth camp, right? I mean, I got the sleepiest people. We're sitting in the dark room. Lights got turned off. Um, but I like I like the implications of, of the new year, and, you know, it's summertime even. It's different than, like, okay, this is y'all are about to leave and, uh, and take this with you into, like, a new school year, um, into just, like, a new year in general. So that's exciting for me is, like, I always see it as an opportunity to, like, give y'all some, like, action items or give y'all some just ways of thinking that, that apply to, like, looking forward to the new year. So um, in thinking about that, so far we've talked about King David's life. We've talked about... Um, you know, Matt Burrito came up here and told us about the kind of unique circumstances around um, King David's being anointed as king, right? And some of those, uh, some of the ways in which God sovereignly chooses, um, despite the outward appearance, despite what we bring to the table, and we we get to see this amazing example of how God chose David um, unexpectedly um, for His glory. And we get to make that connection for ourselves of like, okay, wow, I may be sitting in that chair and I'm going, God has done the same thing in my life. He chose me and he's worked in my life in ways that were unexpected and undeserving. And then we talked about some of the ways in which we deal with sin and with God uh, in sinning. And so we got to see last night how, um, how King David, his dramatic fall from, from, the, from this high place in kingship, um, and, and being a man after God's own heart to just the depths of sin. Um, and we got to see amazingly a picture, a shadow, a type of how God deals with sin. And we got to see um, in God's grace, David's sin put away and, and, and another take the blame. And we got to see um, an example of how, how we're to react to sin, how we're supposed to man up or woman up and say, hey, that's me, I'm a sinner. And we got to see what do we do in that situation where we're faced with our sin. Um, and, and that brings some, you know, a little bit of maybe fearfulness as we face our sin, but also some comfort as we see the ways in which God deals with us. We see that he chooses us sovereignly and goodly and goodly, um, but, you know, graciously. And we get to see the way in which he deals with us, even as, as, a, as, a, as a man or woman um, after his own heart when we sin, because we will sin. And so today, I want to look at a different part of David's life. Um, that I find just really relatable to what we're going to be facing throughout, you know, the rest of youth, the rest of our life, the rest of our Christian walk, the rest of this year. Um, so let's, let's find out where we're at in David's story because we've been jumping around, and I'll give you some more context, and then we'll connect it back to us. But um, all right, so where are we? I'm going to take uh, a spot from when David is on the run. So we're going to be doing like an unchronological order. We went David's choosing, then we fast forward to when David was king, and then we, we watched when he messed up. I'm going to go back to this middle ground where um, David, David was anointed by Samuel, and Samuel goes, okay, the last one, he's going to be king. And he already told Saul, the kingship's going to be removed from you. But then if we keep reading 1 Samuel, David doesn't become king for a very long time. Um, and if anything, it seems more confusing, right? Uh, I'll catch us up so far. So let's start from where Matt Brito was. Samuel comes and he says, okay, David's going to be king. And then basically he leaves. Um, and, and then we hear another story about how Saul, now that he's not been, you know, as God told him, you're not going to be 
my anointed one. You're not going to be my chosen king. He starts getting plagued by a spirit. He starts getting plagued by evilness. And, and the only way that he can kind of get any relief is to have a harp played. And, it, and the harp that he wants to be played is King David, our great psalmist. You know, the secret chord that pleased Saul's ear, too. No. Um, but he comes and he gets, like, this job where he's, like, the musician for King Saul. So, I mean, that's a little confusing. Uh, you're going to be king. Oh, wait, go play music for the king. And he's, so he's playing music for the king. Um, I'm just going to kind of skip around. But, I mean, in, somewhere in there he gets the story with Goliath and he kills Goliath. Um, okay, and he's still not king yet. Uh, at some point, he gains a lot of favor with Saul, and he becomes, like, Saul's uh, son, Jonathan's best friend. He even marries Saul's daughter. Um, he's now a great commander. He's going around, and he's, he's destroying these armies for Saul. And, um, and, and, and all of this is going on. He's still not king yet. Um, and so let's stay there for a second. He starts, he starts uh, killing, killing, being a great warrior in battle. I mean, he's on the battlefield. He's just murking Philistines left and right. He starts with Goliath. I mean, and then just, I mean, at, at one point, Saul's like, okay, you're going to marry my daughter. And he's like, all right, cool, cool, cool. And then uh, Saul's like, actually, you got you to gotta pay the bride price because he's a poor little shepherd boy. And he's like, okay, what's the bride price? He's like, go to the Philistines and, and, and wipe out their town and bring me back a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Oof. Ruthless. <laughs> so he's like, easy money. Runs over to the Philistines, wipes them out, plunders them, brings it back, boom. Then all the ladies in the town, all the ladies in Israel start singing a little song that go, Saul killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Or maybe it's his hundreds and his thousands. But anyway, basically they're singing a song that David's that dude. We like Saul. He was tall. He was handsome. He's our king. But this dude, David, the dude who cut Goliath's head off, he's running around. He's that dude. So, again, Saul. Saul is just mad. Saul's just trying to kill him. I mean, at one point, there's like multiple times where he just starts chucking his spear at him across the room. Um, we get into some, some shenanigans where David and Jonathan are, are trying to figure out, do I need to leave? Do I need to run out of this place? Because Saul's going to kill me. Um, and so it does happen. Eventually, uh, they have a little rendezvous. Jonathan's like, dude, my dad's mad. He's trying to kill you. You got to run. They have a tearful, a tearful like Frodo, Mr. Sam moment. They're crying. They leave. Uh, David's gone. Now David's on the run. That's where I'm trying to get us to. So David is on the run. Uh, Saul's really mad. That, that little song that the, that the ladies wrote really, really irked him. And now he's done because he's got in the back of his mind, Samuel's saying, you're not going to be king. Um, and he's got this dude, David, just getting all the popularity. So David's on the run, the, Israel's greatest commander, uh, the, the best warrior they have. And he's, and he's running out all through uh, Israel trying to uh, avoid Saul as Saul's trying to kill him. Basically, they put a bounty on his head, I guess, and it's like, I need him dead. <clears throat> so that's what we're going to be today. And I'm going to read from 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 15. If it's on the screen, you can read along with me. Um, and so this is right after David. This is kind of cool. This is like a, like a little side quest in a video game or something. David goes over to Nob. He talks to some priest. He's like, man, I need some food. You got any weapons? Like, they're after me. The priests are like, oh, yeah, we got in the back uh, Goliath's sword. Yeah, it's back there. Uh, you want to you take his sword again? So he grabs Goliath's sword. He's still on the run because he knows he can't really stay anywhere. So he goes to the king of Gath. 
And it says, and David rose and fled from, uh, fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Um, and the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David, the king of the land? Like even, even their enemies are already recognizing, oh, this guy's the king. He's, that's the, that's the king. Um, did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. So again, their enemies well know David. Um, uh, it just goes to show how much this song has really spread. We should start singing it. Um, anyway, and it says, and David took these words to heart, and he was much afraid of, king, uh, of the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. You ever just let your spittle run down your beard to get out of trouble? I got homework tonight, man. I'm afraid of my teacher. Let me just let, I'm going to start writing on the walls and let my spittle run down. No. Um, but so uh, the king said to his servants, behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Like, wait, this is the guy they're talking about? He's insane. Why'd you bring him to me? Um, Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Um, I think that's it. And then he just leaves. So... Uh, David ends up getting away from from Gath. Um, And so this is where I want us to find ourselves today. So um, remember where we're at. David has been anointed king. God has sovereignly chosen him. He has been full of the spirit since that moment on. He has found favor with the Lord. He is a man after God's own heart. The people um, love him. He is meant to be king. Um, And so as I try to, like, map that onto our experience, a lot of us today sitting in this room would would say, I'm a Christian. I'm a a, a born-again Christian. I believed last year's, I mean, 20-something of us got baptized after after winter retreat. By the way, we, you know, you can't get baptized again this year if you want. One time time is the limit. Um, But but so as we map that onto our experience, um, a lot of us are like, We've found that God has sovereignly chosen us. We've, 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 we've met with God. We're full of his Holy Spirit. We, we say, I'm a Christian, right? And we know that one day we will be uh, with the Lord again in heaven, um, enjoying the new heavens and the new earth. And, and so to me, I kind of mapped that on. Like if we're putting ourselves in King David's story, like we've been anointed. Samuel's already come to our town. We know that, that God is our Lord and Savior. We know where we're going. We know the end of the story. And yet, I, I know I was joking, a lot of what's going on in Samuel's life is really serious right now. He's, he's on the run from the king that, that was said, you're going to be king. And he's, and he's facing affliction and hardship and suffering. Right? This, is no, this is no joke. After he goes, Saul goes to those priests and says, wait, you gave, you gave David the sword? You gave him food? And he wipes out the entire priest, slaughters all the priests, all of them, kills everyone in Nob. Um, later on, okay, thank you. Later on, um, later on, his, his family is going to get captured by Saul. He's going to keep getting pursued by Saul over and over again. He's going to be hiding in caves and, and right on the edge of danger and, and surrounded by enemies, always on the fear, on the, on the edge of, am I about to be caught? And killed. And so um, 
I'm thinking to David, that must be so, like, where was his head at? Is that if we were, if I was in that situation, I'd be like, hold up. You said I'm going to be king. You said, you said I'm going to, you know, lead this country. You said this guy Saul's not in charge anymore. And I've seen all these, all these things you've done, but I'm still not there yet. Why is this guy chasing me? I thought, I thought I was the anointed one. And so I think for a lot of us, and I know it's true because I sat in that chair like five years ago and a bunch of years before that at youth camps and winter retreats. We can come here and we can feel that kind of first, like I'm thinking of that of Matt Burrito's sermon. We can feel that kind of first night, that, that grace that, yes, like that's, that's me. I, I'm God's anointed. I'm chosen by God. I am his son and his daughter, and, and he's lavished his riches upon us in Christ. Um, and then we can leave here and we can go face um, whether, whether it's just your own sin, falling back into sin, or whether it's actual suffering and affliction, things that make us feel like, wait, was that not true? All these things we sing about, all these things I know about being a Christian, and, and is that not true now, right? We go back to the real world and we face real hardship, not, not anything like, you know, like real stuff. We're not being pursued to death, but some of those things we feel, they kind of send off that flare in us, that alarm of like, man, if, if this is happening in my life, how can that still be true? If this is going on, why, why do I feel like this? I thought all this was true. I shouldn't feel like that, right? And so what I want to do is I want to look at, because we're going we're gonna to do that same thing. You're going to leave here. Maybe you came up last night. You repented. You saw your sin in the mirror. You had the right response. You felt the grace of God back on your life in, in a new and fresh way. And you're about to go into this year feeling like Superman or Superwoman, and then by the end of January, February, like real stuff's going on in your life back home that could creep back in. Real stuff's gonna happen in your life. Real suffering, real affliction, um, and you're gonna have that, that kind of moment where you're like, wait, what? I'm being pursued by, by my enemies? I'm on the, on the, on the edge? I'm, on, I'm always afraid of death at every step, right? Um, and so I wanna look at David's kind of response in the middle of this, right? Um, and so if you don't know, David wrote a bunch of the Psalms. Um, that harp back there, I guess, is supposed to be like a representation of, of a harp because we still think when I see a harp in a church or something, I think of King David, right? He's the, the great lyrical mastermind of like this whole book of songs um, in the Bible, right? And I, I thought of this yesterday, but like all these girls up here singing Taylor Swift the other day. Oh, yeah. I mean, what's the best Taylor songs? The ones where she's happy? No. The one where she goes through a nasty breakup. That's the best songs. We want to hear the hardship. All right. And so David, David, you know, y'all might be like, oh, Taylor's the goat. No, David is the goat. This dude, we've had his songs going on forever in the church. Forever. And so this is like Taylor Swift going through a breakup. We're going to get, while Dave is on the run, I mean, fellas, take a, I mean, if you want to be cool like David and have girls singing songs after you, you need to start writing songs while you're in battle. You need to start writing songs after you do stuff. So he's on the run, and he writes a psalm. He writes a psalm, Psalm 34, a very well-known psalm. Um, and, and so we get a, a real-life picture. Like, this is not like, um, well, I don't, I don't know. It just says, 
this is he wrote it when this event happened in his life. Maybe he wrote it a little after, but the impression is that he wrote it while still in the midst of all of this. Um, he writes it, and so we get this like great glimpse of what's going on in his heart, what's going on in his mind. Um, I think it's a great example for us as we go into this new year. Like, how, let's look at his reaction to what's going on around him. Let's look at some of the. Um, you know, he teaches a little bit there, so I, I think of that as, like, some of his action, like what he says we need to do, because it also is addressing an assembly of people. Um, it's very communal. And so I think this is a great way for us to start. Like, take what we've learned these, these last two nights, um, and like, let's get prepared. Let's see how we can get ready to face the coming year. Um, so let's open up Psalm 34. I'll read the whole thing, and then we're going to go, like, stanza by stanza. Um, and kind of go through. I forgot too. It's also like an acrostic. So imagine you like are on the run. You just you just killed some people. Maybe you you in battle, and then you sit down. And you're like, you know, you write out your name or something. S T E P H E N Stephen, and you write a stanza. Like I don't know. That's just a funny picture to me that David is is writing this. But these are great, really full of of great spiritual um, insight um, psalms that has been that's been kept for us. Uh, as the church to read and go back to and, and find it. And so I want to encourage us in this psalm. So let's read it, and then I'll pray. Okay. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. And delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, I thank you that you have preserved um, this for us through these years, Lord. I thank you that you give us a reason to hope and a reason to um, 
fight on and push on, Lord, that you don't just save us from our sin and leave us there, God, but you've called us to something, Lord, and your spirit is with us, guiding us um, along the way. Uh, I ask that as we sit here and we listen and we try to find ourselves and and, and let the spirit speak to us in ways that show us uh, things that, that we could believe or things that we could do, that you, would, um, that you would do that for us, that you would speak clearly um, and be faithful to those um, of us who came up last night maybe and prayed and prayed fervently for something, Lord. May this be um, something that they can take with them, Lord, throughout their year. I ask this in your son's name, Jesus' name, amen. Wait, we're not done. What? Whoa, whoa, we're not done. It's 1045. I said I was going to read the psalm. We're going to talk about it. You think I was just going to. All right, y'all. Hold up. This is my talk for y'all. I'm going to read the Bible. Y'all figure it out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No. Okay. (laughs) So let's go to this first stanza. So I kind of see that it's split up like just half and half, right? I think of the first part as as kind of David's reaction to what's going on, like his intro, kind of his, this like outburst of praise. And then when he starts in verse, in stanza four with, oh, come children and listen to me, that's kind of where he starts to like give a little teaching, give a little explaining to kind of the way that those first three stanzas come alive to him and make sense to him. Okay, so in the first one, I will bless the Lord at all times. Um, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Um, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So in David's, like in the heart of it, like this is in the middle of his story. He is, he is being pursued. It's not stopping. It's not like he just became king and now he can write this. In the middle his reaction, his first thing is, let's praise the Lord. Let me magnify the Lord with all that, my, that I have in my being. Um, like, that's his initial reaction. Um, that's where he starts. And how many of us are, and I don't think this is wrong, but how many of us start from a place of griping and complaining? And that's, what I'm, that's, that's the feeling I'm tapping into because I'm right there with you. I am often... You know, like last year, for instance, I went to a conference. I was super hyped up. I, I came out like on, like sprinting out the gates. And then January just kicked my butt. And then I'm just slowing down. And I'm like, I'm right there as the first one to be like, what? God, what is this? This is not what, this is not what we, you know, in my head, this imaginary deal. What are we, what are we doing here? Um, and so right off the bat, I'm, I'm just convicted by David's, the way he, he comes out praising the Lord. Um, and, and then I, it, it gives me the reason to think what, you know, what is David doing? Like he is, he is thinking on all these things and all the, the previous ways that he's been blessed by God. And, and he's calling to mind that at the start, at the go, um, of, of this prayer that he's, he's not going to shy away from what's going on. He's not just going to pretend like everything's okay. Um, and just, you know, that's not what we're saying here, but I think there's something to be said about the start of it being uh, this place of praise that, that he's saying, he's speaking truth to himself and saying, I will, like in the future, future tense, I will 
praise the Lord at all times. He's, he's talking to himself. I don't think in this moment he's, he's um, just kind of willy-nilly. Like, he's telling himself, like, in the middle of the hardship, I will praise the Lord at all times, meaning there's going to be different times. Um, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth, right? Um, another thing that, that I got from this stanza that, that really stuck out to me as I was sitting here worshiping with you guys all weekend was the, the plurality here of the, the community aspect of, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Um, and it just calls to mind as I'm sitting here worshiping with you guys, as I look around the room, the impact that corporate worship has on, on kind of my soul, right? Not all of us can say maybe at that moment, I will bless the Lord at all times. But the kind of act of being together in a way that we're singing words that are, that are powerful and have truth in them. Um, I was just reminded this weekend of just overcome by all, just thinking of all the different people in the room and the ways in which God's been changing lives. And I can look around and see, you know, even if I forget the way God's been working in my life, I can look around and see all the ways in which I know God's been working in other people's lives. And that can call to mind praise. And, to, and, and, and so um, just was laughing too. I mean, we're all singing chicken, 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 chicken at the top of our lungs, going ballistic, doing chicken dancing and just getting sweaty. And then, and then we get up here and we're like, I praise you by a thousand names. And you deserve like, we have reason to be going as ballistic for the chicken dance as we do for this stuff right here. Um, and, and I was also looking around, thinking about the way in which, like, we look how drawn together and fun and, and like, the community part that was built in us singing and dancing and having a good time. And I think that can be just the same in corporate worship, where we can look around the room and hear the voices of of our brothers and sisters in Christ and be in, in the same way, be encouraged and our bonds strengthened in, in that, that action. And so um, that, that's just something I thought of. Like one, in this very first part, David's, the first thing he's doing is bringing praise. And then he's not doing it alone, right? He's not, he's not going off um, like in the corner. And there are times when he, he really like is struggling and, he's, and, he's, and it's more first person point of view. But the community aspect of, uh, aspect of like, we're not called to do this alone. We're not called to come up here and, and, and repent and, and kind of see what Aaron asked us to do last night and then just like look around the room and be like, oh, I saw some other people up there that I kind of know. And then never talk about it. Just run off and go back to singing the chicken dance, right? Like we were called to a community. God placed you in this place with these people and, and, and all the events that are going on in their lives for a reason. And you know this. Some of you have that kind of community that's built in to small groups and to the way that you talk to each other that, that, is, that is incorporating this aspect of God that you're feeling that. But for some of us, we can just, we can be goofing and talking about anything else. And then when we, you know, we all kind of come up for an altar call or something, but we never go back and talk about it. We never go back. So I really liked what Aaron said about, yeah, when you leave here, like not only I would also encourage you to write it down so you remember so that you can be like David in this psalm calling to mind all the different ways in which the Lord is worthy of your praise, but also go do that in community. Go share that with someone. Go, go say, look, man, I saw you across the room. I was on this side, and, uh, and I repented. And, and bring that conversation to the table and, and watch how the Lord uses one another uh, in this corporate aspect 
um, to kind of work on you and, and to sanctify both of you. Okay, so again, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. He delivered me? Past tense, he's already delivered? I, that, that, that part to me is, is David not saying that all of the fears, all of his suffering, all of the things that are going on in his life are gone, but, but knowing that the Lord is faithful to do those things and to work on his own heart here when he says, all, I've been delivered from my fears. It doesn't mean the things that are fearful have been taken away. Um, it just, so that, that part just stuck with me too, that he's saying, I will. He's looking forward. He's, he's looking back. Um, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Uh, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Uh, and then this nice picture of what God does in that moment. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. So again, uh, this one kind of thinking of like looking back, I think there's power in looking back in the ways in which, you know, God has worked in your life. And you can look back and say, maybe not even in this moment, but look back, look at back at all the ways in which I sought him then, and I sought him then, and I sought him then, and he's faithful. And look at the way, look, uh, this poor man cry. Uh, wait, no, 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 sorry. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. I just imagine him, um, like, calling to mind people that, that he knows that, that have not been put to shame, other people's stories. And so, again, um, this, this aspect of, of calling to mind what God's done in the past, we talked about it in the men's kind of testimony piece. It's like looking along the lines for those, those breadcrumbs of, of God's grace that have been dropped along the path. Um, I don't think that this just happens that that David never thought about these things. And then when he was in trouble, he just goes, oh, oh yeah, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He's calling to mind real times. Like we just talked about all these different things that he's run into. This is not the first time all of a sudden he's coming to the Lord. He's calling to mind all the different times in which he sought the Lord. And, and he's remembering other people, humble people, that, that have never been put to shame. And he's, and he's calling to mind these things as he strengthens himself, um, as, he's, as he makes his plea to God resolute here, um, that that he can be confident that the Lord will answer him when he seeks because of all the different past times in which he has and all the different times he remembers that. So he's looking with, I put here, he's looking, he's looking expectantly. He's, he's, not, he's, he's coming confidently, and he's looking uh, expectantly. Okay. And then here, the most famous verse. Also, this is really hard, guys, to read this without trying to, like, sing the verses from the from our good old Shane and Shane song. I was really trying, but if you know, if you just heard my beautiful singing voice come out while I was reading, I'm sorry. Okay, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And so as I was kind of going through summarizing, trying to figure out like, what do I want to talk about for each of these different stanzas? Obviously, the one that stands out to me is the, is the one that I think is the most famous right here. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Does it feel like for David that the Lord is good in this moment? I think it does in some ways as he looks back and he thinks on all the ways that the Lord is good. But it's still astounding to me that in the middle of his trial, he's tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Right? And I don't, I don't want to just push past, like, oh, it's poetic, he's tasting and seeing. Uh, it is, but I want that imagery to actually call to mind, like, we're not just 
we're not just uh, kind of souls floating around that our bodies don't matter. Uh, the fact that we're in a body is by like accident maybe. Like in heaven, we're just going to be a, a, a free-floating like wispy spirit cloud thing flying around. Like God made us both body and soul. We are an embodied soul. That is God's creation and it's good. And so when we call to mind things like taste and see that the Lord is good, we're calling to mind things that, that God in creation has made true of us that we can relate to um, like very, very realistically, very like viscerally that we are, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. And so, um, I don't know, that, that to me was just an encouragement for, for as we look through and, and I'm thinking, you know, we're going to leave here and we're going to go be faced with different things. We're going to be faced with a lot of temptations of tasting and seeing other things that are not good. Um, and so, as we go out from this new year, look at his reaction in hardship. He's not running to taste and see um, the things around him that feel like that's gonna that that's the good thing that's gonna get me out of this situation, right? Um, he's going to the Lord. Go and taste and see that the Lord is good in the middle of your hardship, in the middle of your affliction, in the middle of the story that feels like you're in the wrong part. And so, um, as you go out from this year. I just want to encourage you guys to, to try your hardest to taste and see in the middle when you feel the least likely to want to taste and see. Um, that is when you need to run to the Lord and taste and see his goodness. Um, okay, so that was kind of the intro. And so that's the, the reactionary kind of part that, was, that stuck out to me and kind of drew me to this psalm was that in the middle of this, David's reaction is, is one of praise and of calling to mind the ways in which God is faithful and of, and of kind of preaching to himself about God's goodness, telling himself to taste and see. And then now he kind of opens it up. Again, this community aspect speaks to me where he's, he's opening it up to like, why is this true? Why does he have uh, faith in this moment? Why can he do this? Like what's the, what's the meat of the psalm is in this teaching where he says, come, O children, and listen to me. So he's telling, he's saying, come, come listen. Why, like, he, this, the, the, the scenario is that he's in the middle of, of being on the run, and so he's in the, in the moment. Why is he tasting, and see, why is he blessing the Lord at all times? What is, we're going to see a picture of how David thinks about affliction and suffering. That's kind of where we're going to land. Um, and so right here it says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And so he kind of gives this hook. You know, what man is there who desires life and love uh, and loves many days that he may see good? This is him, right? He's, he's not desiring life, and, and he's afraid that he has very short days, and uh, he's afraid that all he's seeing is evil. And so he's saying, who doesn't want to see good in, in a long life? And, uh, and, and uh, what, wait, what was the other one? Uh, yeah, who just desires life and loves many days, right? Um, and so... This, this part is pretty challenging, right? Verses 13 and 14 that he's, he's calling to mind, like, who doesn't want these things? And in doing that, he's, he's actually calling to mind the fact that he's not seeing those things. And so this part makes it that much more challenging. He's not just saying, you know, do this uh, and then you'll gain those things. I don't think that's what this verse means. It's not like, oh, if you want to live a long time, go do good and, and not evil. What he's saying is, in the middle of that, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And so that's the challenging part is that 
is that we can relate to this, that when we're in any kind of trial, when we're in any kind of affliction or suffering, where the desire of our heart is that, man, it just, or the kind of moment that we're in feels like my days are numbered, life's no good, all I see is evil. Um, the temptation there is not to seek good and, and turn away from evil and, and seek peace and pursue it, right? The moment there is to kind of throw our hands up, the temptation, and just give up, right? Like, how long am I going to be on the run? How long is, is evil going to pursue me? Look around the world. I mean, we do this on our phones. We do this. I mean, there's been times this year when, when I've felt that kind of like, like that hopelessness as you just are sucked into to the internet and all of the different like evil of the wor- evils of the world that the moment, like for me in that moment, it's not like a, oh, this is motivating me to go do better, to go do good. It's actually that the temptation there is to just kind of give up and be like, well, I guess I'll just do whatever, whatever it is that everyone else is doing. I'll just, you know, whatever. The world's evil. Everything sucks. Can't do anything about it. And so this is a, this is a challenge, right, to keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit, to turn away from evil and do good, to seek peace and pursue it. Like what stands out to me, those, all those action verbs, to keep and to turn away, and to seek, and to pursue, right? I don't think, I'm, I'm not trying to just fly by that as like, all right, well, y'all know what to do, youth kids, go be good this year, turn away from evil. Uh, I'm trying to say, I know that this is hard, but David is, is in, we're going to see the reason why he's encouraging us to do this, but he's in, this is like, again, he's, I see it as he's preaching to himself. Like, in this moment, what I need to bear down on is the hardest thing that feels like the one thing I want to give up on, which is I need to, in the hard moments, that much more diligently pursue peace, seek it, do good, turn away from evil. And then here again, like for me, that, that tongue piece, like keep your tongue from evil and deceit away from you. Like in those moments is the moments that we need to step the most carefully. Okay, we're going to keep chugging along. Um, the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous in his ears, I mean, his ears, his ears toward their cry. Um, okay. And the, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Okay. Um, these last two verses are, are things that I think we can really, really benefit from if we understand like that David is almost like when he's writing an essay, it seems like to me, like when you write an essay and you have to like support your argument, we're going to really learn about how in God's economy affliction works and I think good. And we start to see this kind of dichotomy between the last two stanzas really talking about the good person and the evil person. And you might feel like that feels like a weird turn. Like, oh, David's in the middle of, of hardship. And we just talked about like, oh, we should praise God. We should turn away from good. And, all, and then all of a sudden he just talks about like what happens with good people and bad people. But I think what we learn in that moment is how, like this is what, what David knows about God and about how God operates in the world is informing the way in which his heart's responding in the moment of hardship. And so I want us to, to think about like, Look, the ways in which sometimes you might be hearing a sermon or something like we've been talking all year about the gospel according to, it's not to take lightly. In this moment, David's falling back on, in my opinion, theology. He's falling back on something that he knows to be true about God and about people. And so, and those, I, you know, this is an encouragement as you maybe listen to a sermon, you're like, 
all right, okay, the gospel according to whatever, and you're just not making any kind of connections this year. Like, think about if you can really treasure up and find out how God operates and how God works, it's going to aid you when you come to moments like this because this is what David's calling to mind. I don't think David just learned this in the middle. David knows this already to be true about God, and he's reminding himself of that truth in the middle of his hardship. So we see in this verse, in the next verse, I mean, this stanza and the next stanza too, that he kind of brings up uh, the righteous and those, like those who fear God and what they do, and then the evil person and what they do. Um, and then also, like, there's some great verses here just for comforting sake about who God is that, that without that being true, all of this falls apart. So um, just the fact that the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and the ears towards their cry, again, another great imagery of, of our body and the way we're, and the, and the way in which we can kind of have these ideas of what God is as we think about our own selves. Like, his, is there ever toward us? Um, and his ears are listening. Uh, and then that as opposed to another bodily part the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off their memory. So on one side, we have the Lord hearing our cry and, 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 and his eyes being toward us. And then on this side, although the face is still like, it, it brings to mind a more like the wrath of God. The face of God is against those who do evil. And his, he wants to cut off the memory of them from the earth. And so we start to see this, this, uh, this idea of what happens with the way that God treats his, his people and the way in which he treats the wicked people and the difference. And we'll see that in a second. But when the righteous, again, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. And he delivers them out of all their trouble. Keep your ears open for these next two verses for, all, for these like alls and nevers and nuns. Like those are, those are powerful words. You know, also powerful words um, just in general. Like, like they're big blanket statements. They're not just like, Okay, he's going to save you out of the trouble you're in right now. But they're, they're big, definitive things that he's, he's reminding himself of the truth of who God is. And then, um, again, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And, um, and so having, you know, knowing that truth about God, I don't think you're just going to know that truth with, you know, without going through the hardship and knowing that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Like, you don't know that to be true in, in your, if you're David unless you've been brokenhearted and you felt the nearness of God. And so, again, I'm just convicted that, man, we should be writing these things down. We should be sharing them. We should be making these things real so that the next time we're brokenhearted, we can call to mind, yes, this is true of the Lord. I can, I can say this with some emphasis, with some confidence, because I know it to be true in my own heart. Um, just make sure I'm... Um, Okay, yeah, so finally, and we're, we'll land here. Um, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Let's just, let's just stay there, right? I mean, that, we kind of can gloss over that, and that's just something that's been, like, big in my mind this year, is that, I said this year as if, like, it's only been, like, a week, but you mean, the, over the last year, um, is God didn't, when we're, the people in the righteous here, I think we can, if you're a Christian, you can relate to that person, so you can see yourself in this moment, but um, that's telling us something about the way in which the world operates that we don't like to hear, that we like to squirm out of, right? 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Who wants to go home today with a lot of hope that, yeah, this year's full of affliction? No, right? I think we like to leave, like, like skirt around those verses, right? Um, I, I'm like, I'm like, that's not something that we want to relate to, right? Um, I think there's, uh, now I can't remember the reference, but um, when it says in, when Paul writes that, it, is all, it has also been granted to us to suffer with him, like, like as if it's a gift. It's been granted to you, right? Um, if you can get this, and that's what I've been trying to do, so I'm not saying like I've, I've arrived, but if as a Christian we can understand that we will have afflictions, like that's a promise, it's not going to be like, oh, hey, guys, for those of you who happen to get into a bad situation this year, like every single one of you can be like, all right, cool. We are going to face afflictions because guess what? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, and then we're also going to talk about the afflictions of the wicked. So anyone, anyone in the entire world can find that in their life they will face affliction. And, and, and for the righteous person, it's promised that many will be your affliction. You'll have plenty, plenty, plenty affliction. Um, and so how does David use that to find hope in the middle of his trial? Well, it's the way in which he knows how God uses affliction and suffering for the righteous and how he uses affliction and suffering for the wicked. Um, so let's keep reading. So I mean, there is a promise there that the Lord delivers them out of, I mean, out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. That seems like the weirdest verse in this whole passage. We're talking about all kind of stuff, and then we get to bones, Mr. Mr. Bones? Mr. Bones? He's outside already waiting. He got here at 10 a.m. Mr. Bones? He keeps all his bones, and not one of them is broken. And so I'm reading this, and I'm like, the only time I remember reading that is uh, when they say that that prophecy was fulfilled for Jesus when he's resurrected. After he's been crucified, they go, oh, yeah, and it's been, it's been fulfilled what has been said that not one of his bones was broken. And I'm like... What does this have to do with, I don't know, it just brought to mind. So I went and looked up some stuff. And um, I think what is lost on us in the Old Testament is the imagery of bones and the way that um, different parts of the body are used for different things. So again, calling to mind this body, we're tasting and seeing the goodness. We're hearing about the, the Lord's face and his eyes and his ears. Um, and so now we're talking about bones. In the Old Testament, bones are like the very, very last thing, right? I mean, uh, the last thing to decay, obviously, is that's true for all of us. The last thing, like, they would put the bones of their dead, like, in a box. That's how they would bury people. They wouldn't just, like, put them, their whole body in a giant coffin. They, they'd keep their bones. And then, like, ours, they brought up the fact that, like, Joseph really cared about his bones. He made sure, hey, look, even though y'all are about to be in Israel for 400 years and be in slavery and uh, then you'll go to the promised land uh, way, way, way long ago. Hey, make sure my bones get there. And so what is this imagery of bones? And then, of course, um, uh, we, the other place that they talk about bones that I think is important for this, this context is Ezekiel looking out upon the valley of dry bones and God um, raising them up and putting, like, knitting flesh, and flesh around the bones and calling them back to life. It's, it's this foreshadow, this type of, uh, of the symbol of resurrection, meaning 
everything else can be stripped away. The blood, the, the, the skin, the muscle, the, the, the ligaments, the tissue, all of that can fade away. And you could get down to the very last part, your bones, the very, the very um, you know, in affliction, it also calls to mind the person who looks like bones because of, of their hunger and of their want and all that. And it's like, you can make it all the way down and yet having the bones, <laughs> having the bones points to the way in which God um, resurrects, right? There's still something left. And so um, the way that this article was kind of describing it was, was that he is saying, basically, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Even if you feel like you get all the way down to the bones, the promise of who this God is, is that he will resurrect. He will be faithful. He will deliver. Um, even if your affliction doesn't stop after you die, you might, you might be afflicted with something, suffer with something all the way through. That's not the end of the story, right? The end of the story you might think is death, but it can go all the way down to just the bones being left, and God can raise those dry bones into life. And so um, I thought that was really cool that it also pointed to Christ and helped me think about the way in which uh, not one of his bones was broken. God, God, and Jesus being resurrected fulfills that truth by showing God's resurrection power. Um, that, that That's a promise for us to hold on to that's very interesting, very, again, very full of imagery that that our God is a God of resurrection and that our story doesn't end with our suffering. Our story doesn't just, you might think that the, suffer, that the suffering may not end. God may not like take away the thorn in your side, but he is a God who is faithful to deliver them all, deliver you from them all. He will keep all the bones and not one of them is broken. Okay, and then finally, look at the way that affliction is used in the opposite way. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. And then the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So let's, let's, I want to leave us with this hope and, and, and this truth about the way in which God uses affliction and the way in which God uses suffering um, is that in one way we have a promise that we will have suffering, but we have a promise uh, of who God is and his goodness and of his power to look forward and know that the affliction is not the end of our story. Whereas for the wicked, it is the end of their story. God uses that affliction um, well, in, in a way that, that there is no redemption for that person, and, the, and that's the end of their story. For us, you could get the, the, the bones are left, but it's not the end of your story. On this side, affliction will slay the wicked. And so I, I heard this in one sense, the affliction that is talked about in, in this psalm and the affliction in which David's relating to and talking about is humbling for the righteous and hardening for the wicked, right? It has two different effects. Same thing, two different effects. And then again, it's purifying for the righteous and punitive for the wicked, meaning like it is God's judgment. He wants to cut off their memory from the earth. They will be slayed and yet the same thing that's going to affect us all, affliction, for us is used to purify us, is used to um, humble us. And so 
That's how David's making this psalm and, 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 and praising the Lord in the middle where his story's not done. I just told you before. I mean, he's got a lot more suffering to get to before he becomes great and mighty king. And then he becomes the king. And we talked about his dramatic fall and all the different things, right? His own son tries to, like, take the kingdom away from him. And, and, and then, I mean, there's just so many parts to David's story that I'm, I'm, I'm just so thankful for psalms like this where other characters, like, like, Abraham, for instance, can just feel like this, right? Like, all right, it's just a story about some old guy, and you don't get, like, a lot of, like, depth and character of who this guy is. For David, we get to see these real deep parts of his life and his, and his way of thinking and, his, and then in the way in which he handles stuff. And so I love that we get to look into this psalm and see, look at where his, his reaction is rooted, right? It's rooted in what he knows to be true about God, and in doing so, he gets to call out in the beginning, you know, what does he say? I would say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is no man who just says it off the cuff like a Christian, just like, oh, I mean, God's good. Amen, brother. Uh, God is good all the time and all the time. God is good, right? We know his story. And so that's my encouragement as you go out. Maybe you found yourself in a couple different parts of this of this psalm it's not but if you can take away from today something you know about God to be true and root your year in what you know and what you learned from maybe Matt's sermon or Aaron's sermon or this sermon then I think you can prepare yourself well to react in the same way that David reacts when inevitably you face affliction when inevitably we ride that roller coaster of yo winter retreat Oh, no, I really, really, really can't wait for youth camp. Yay, youth camp. I love God. Oh, man, I can't wait for winter retreat. Um, if we can stay a little more like the Christian life is still like this, but a little less and a little more like this by remembering the ways in which God deals with his righteous faithfully and the ways in which he operates. And we're not, we're not confused. We're not taken off guard when we, when we meet affliction this year, when we meet real, real hardship then I really think we're going to be in a great place to stay more like this as we take on the new year, as we continue to look back on our lives and get and we get to be drawn closer. We get to be made more in the image of God's Son um, throughout this year. Um, I think what I wanted to say, I forgot to say something. What I wanted to really emphasize here was, was the fact that um, another another reason to hold on to this psalm with truth and not just, and I, I just can't, I can't not say this because, I mean, this is what it's all rooted in. It's not just, we're, not, we're, not, we're just not rooting this faithfulness, this hope of who God is and all this, just in, oh, Stephen said it or we read it in Psalm 34. Um, okay, cool, right? We, oh man, we get so much more hope, so much more, like we just have such a deeper, level of, of connectedness to grab onto because look, because of where we are in the big picture of God, I don't want to miss that today, right? We're not in King David's story. We're not before Jesus came back. I mean, before Jesus came at all, we are in the middle of Jesus already coming and Jesus coming back. And so I, I can't skip it, but we can hold on to this truth with so much, like such a tighter grip because we know what Jesus has done, right? Like, that's why I was bringing up the dry bones and the resurrection power. We can hold on to this truth because we've already seen God's hand in 
Jesus coming here and doing that. We can say, I'm righteous, even though we're going to go home today and sin. Even though we're going to go home this week and sin. We can say, oh, I'm, I'm the righteous one because we know that Jesus came and Jesus' uh, and Jesus' perfect life and his sacrifice, God now takes his righteousness and puts it on us. So I just couldn't leave without, without saying, like, you're going to go home and, you know, if your affliction is caused by the consequences of your own sin, and you're like, man, well, I come back to the Psalm, Stephen, and you said the, the, the wicked are slayed. I'm a wicked guy. I just, I'm a wicked guy. I'm a wicked guy. I just, I just raised my hand yesterday and saw my own sin in my face. The hope, the hope there, don't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to skip this, was that you are counted righteous before God if you've put your faith in Jesus and have uh, repented. God now looks upon you and sees Jesus' righteousness instead of your own wickedness. And so how much more can we, can we draw hope from this psalm about the righteous one when we can even say, I know 100% that I am the righteous one in the psalm because I know that God looks upon me and sees Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to pray us out. And uh, I think we're, we're going to try to clean this place up. So we're going to follow directions on, and we're not just going to go run off. I guess it's raining. We can't run off anyway, but we're going we're gonna to get this place looking like the top of the Chrysler building. There you go, Annie. And then we'll have Mr. Bones sing us chicken, 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 chicken all the way home on repeat. And then we'll go home tonight and we'll write in our journals about what God did for us. And we'll text our friends and we'll say all the different ways in which God worked for us. And we'll sing our worship songs like, no, 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 no. No, we're going to, I'm, I'm, that is for real. I was a little mad. Not a little mad. I was like a little just riled up. Next week at youth, I want to see y'all singing worship songs as hard as y'all singing chicken songs. Yeah, yeah. If Drew makes us a good worship beat. Okay, let's bow our heads and let's, uh, let's pray and ask for some for strength to do this because we're not going to be able to do this on our own. Heavenly Father, I am overwhelmed by the ways in which you are good to us and the ways in which you, you give us hope in a million different ways. Um, uh, you know, singing that song, A Thousand Names, you've given us a million ways to see that, God. You've given us different ways, different angles to see who you are, God. And so I thank you that you've given us this angle today, Lord, through your, 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 your servant, David, who's a great, great way for us to, to, to relate, right? We get to see all the different parts of David, God, and we get to relate to him. And so I just thank you that we've gotten to see um, an example, Lord, of a faithful way to engage with you in the middle of suffering, in the middle of affliction. And I ask, Lord, that for everyone in this room today, that you would give them just something to hold on to, something to to come back to. Maybe you plant a seed there that, that when they face affliction, when they face suffering this year, that they remember, wait, there are people in the Bible like this. It's not, they're not all just amazing. Like, they're not amazing people. Actually, none of them are great. And they come back to David's story, and they get to, that, that you would show them in your spirit, Lord, some comfort and some ways in which that they can find strength to continue following you in that moment. Um, ask this in your son's name, who, who is the only way we have uh, any kind of hope in these stories, Lord. Um, I thank you for Jesus and his work and the way in which we can know that we are righteous. 